0: Good morning. We are out of the section talking about how to love our children. We had done a pretty good in-depth view of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on the way in which that applies towards our children. Now we're going to move on to the next section of our lesson, and that is titled, Know Your Calling, Follow the Plan. You know, a lot of parents forget what exactly it is we're doing. We forget who we are. We forget why we're here. We forget why our children are here. We lose sight of the goal. Uh, The goal has not just shifted, it has changed. When our children are young, when they're infants, we hold them in our arms and we think, these children are beautiful. I'm going to raise them to be the the light of their mother's eye. I'm going to raise them to glorify God. And then you know, six months, three years later, we we're thinking, oh man, I need to work more. I need to make more money. Oh man, I need to adjust this to my life so I can have these things. And what was once a clear calling in your life, I want my children to be successful, now fades to the wayside. Now, what is more important to us than our children? Well, nothing. We would, we would claim nothing is more important to our, us than our children. But that claim doesn't always match our actions. That claim does not always match the plan that we have in our life. If I was to ask you what is your plan for your children? And if you were to write down your plan, and if I was to ask, what are you doing to accomplish your plan, would they match? My plan is to train my children to glorify God. That is my ultimate, you might say, overall plan. I want my children to glorify God. You say, well, Pastor Russ, almost every parent, all Christian parents want that. I agree. They, they should want that. I think most, if not all, do want that. But wanting it isn't enough. Do you have a plan to attain it? And that is where a lot of parents fall. They say, well, I went to church. Well, going to church isn't the end all of the plan. Don't think because you attend a church occasionally or even faithfully that your children will automatically glorify God. Well, my kids went to a Christian school. Well, again, that doesn't guarantee anything. Well, Pastor Russ, if going to church and going to a Christian school does not guarantee My children glorify God. What does? Well, really, nothing guarantees it. It's not a guarantee. But there are definitely things you can do to plan for that, to work towards that, so that your children have a better chance at it. Look, just because your child goes to a church with you doesn't mean it's a good thing. I've known a lot of Christians who it was church itself that actually turned the children away from God. In what way? Well, the church had a lot of issues. Those issues were not dealt with. The pastor, the leadership, ignored those issues. The children saw those issues being ignored. The pastor was two-faced. The pastor was an angry man. The pastor preached on sins except for the ones that were in his own life. (laughs) He never preached on pride because this man was prideful. He never preached on anger because he was angry all the time. He never preached on the things that that were very clearly a problem in his life. He only preached on things that were problems in everyone else's life. Children saw it. It disgusted them. And ironically, it was the very act of going to church that pushed your child away from bringing glory to God. So think about your plan. And if you say, well, it includes church, I would say, good, it should. But not just any church. Make sure, And I'm not saying only Meriden Hills, right? I'm not saying Meriden Hills is the only church either. I'm saying make sure... That your plan to raise your children to glorify God includes a church, a body, a fellowship of believers that reflects the glory you want your children to also have. Don't be thinking that your children are going to glor- grow up glorifying God if they're in a church and you look around you and you see a bunch of reprobates. You see a bunch of people running from God. You see a bunch of people playing a game. One of two things will happen. Your child is more likely to become like them or more likely to run from it altogether. All right, have a plan. Same with your school. Christian schools are not all equal. Private schools are not all equal. Public schools are not all equal. You say, well, I want my child to glorify God. Well, consider this. Your child is at school seven to eight hours every day. And is that school part of the bigger plan? Is that school accomplishing the bigger plan? And you say, well, they went to a Christian school. Same problem as the church. Just because it's a private Christian school does not mean your child is going to benefit from that. Well, these are hard choices to make. Because it doesn't just end with church and school, it continues with family. We've talked about that previously, having a team that surrounds you, a team of people that support the plan, not a team of people that destroy the plan. And this team includes as I said months ago, includes coaches, includes teachers, it includes aunts and uncles, it includes grandparents. And you say, Pastor Russ, they're family. I'm not going to eliminate family from my child's life. Look, what is your plan? Is your plan to make your parents happy in their old age? Is your plan to appease your brother and sister who are living sin- a sinful, rebellious lives? Or is your plan to bring and raise up children who glorify God? Well, I'm not going to destroy my children for my, my brother and sister. I'm not going to destroy my, par- my children for my parents who in their old age ought to know better. I'm going to focus my plan on the needs of my children. That is what's more important to me than everything else. And I don't just say it, I mean it. My children are more important to me than my parents. My children are more important to me than my siblings. My children are more important to me than you sitting in this room. I really mean that. And uh, I play that out in the way I raise my children and who I let my children be with. Their friends, my friends, anyone. Know your calling. You can't have a plan if you don't know where you're headed. But just because you're going somewhere doesn't mean you're going to get there if you don't have a plan to reach that end destination. So let's talk about our calling today as parents, grandparents, anyone who uh, works with children. Let's see how we can accomplish that. The first one is found in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Now this particular idea is found in both the Old and New Testament. I am choosing this reference because of the description within the text. But you could, I could have chosen any number of verses throughout the Bible to get across this point. And the first point is this: we are teachers. We are teachers. When I have someone come to Midstate Christian Academy and they're sitting in my office and they tour the school, I almost always give this statement: "God." gave your children to you. They belong to you. They do not belong to me. You have the responsibility, the authority, the privilege to raise your children, which includes instructing your children, teaching your children. I tell them that you answer to God for your children's training, not me. If you want me to partner with you in educating train your children. We're happy to do so, but we don't replace you in that responsibility. We partner with you in that responsibility. A lot of parents have been tricked, have been deceived by the world, by public schools specifically, into believing that we're parents, they're teachers, and they're not the same thing. That I don't teach and you don't parent. Well, that's what they want you to believe because in the end, a lot of teachers in public and private schools both end up being both teachers and parents of those kids. And a lot of them actually will literally say, don't listen to your parents, they're stupid, they don't know what they're talking about. Kids are being told this in classrooms. Because it is believed by these individuals that they can raise and parent and train your child better than you can. They really believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that the best parent for a child is their parent. Does a parent need support? Yes, they do. Does a parent need help? Yes, they do. And I want to be that support and I want to be that help, but I don't want to replace the parent. You are a teacher. Before your teacher is a teacher to your child, you are a teacher. Your child needs to learn more from you than they do their teacher. Now, they may not learn more math from you, history, science, or English from you, but more of what really matters, life. They need to learn life more from you than anyone else. They need to learn about God, how much God loves them from you more than anyone else. Pastor Russ, how can I compete with the Bible teacher? How can I compete with Pastor Ethan? I mean, they're with them, you know, all week, and he's a youth pastor. How can I compete with that? You can compete with that because he's not their dad. He's not their mom. That's how you compete with that. Your impact may not be as as long in the day as Pastor Ethan's, but it is deeper. You don't need as long in the day because you are the parent. Your children are naturally drawn to you until you unnaturally push them away. As long as you're not pushing your children away, in Ephesians chapter 6, it's referred to as provoking your children to wrath. As long as you're not pushing them away, children are naturally drawn to their parents. You say, well, I didn't push my children away, yet they ran. Well, maybe there was influence outside of the home that, that drew them away from you. We've talked about that as well quite often, and we will talk about that again. Don't push them away and watch out for the influence that will take them away. Those are both unnatural because naturally children are drawn to parents. You are a teacher. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 19. In the Old Testament, the parents were instructed that their job was to ensure the success of their children. In what way? Well, spiritual success. And how was that done? Verse 19. And ye shall teach them. You cannot assume that your child will just figure things out. Oh, your child will figure things out all right after a lot of destructive patterns, some of them turning to habits. So, by the time they do figure things out, these habits have gotten a hold of their mind, of their soul, gotten a hold of their heart. And although they could come back, the journey back is a lot more difficult than it should have been. Why? Because we did not teach them. Well, I, I put them in a private school, I gave them teachers. Their job as a teacher is not to replace you. It's to help you, to assist you. Your job is to teach your children, to instruct your children. Speaking of them, when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates. Everywhere your child goes, They should see God, God's glory, God's truth. They should see it in you. They should hear it in you. They should see it at home. Now, some Jews took this literally and actually would put on their doorposts of their house verses that were important to them, their family, or their clan. And these verses would be like their family verses. And they would even kiss and touch the doorposts possibly if you know, some traditions would have that. And they would train the children that we love these verses. Let's kiss these verses. These are our family's verses. It's not a bad thing, but when it becomes a tradition and not actually what the intention was, it doesn't really help too much. I don't know that God literally wanted them to write verses on the doorposts as many Jews perceived him to say. But I do know, literally, he wanted these children to be surrounded with truth all day, every day. That's your plan. Do you make sure that your children are surrounded by truth all day, every day, throughout the day? If you don't, then you can have a calling, and my calling is that my children are raised to glorify God, but you don't have a plan. Oh, Pastor Russ, I do have a plan. Okay, are you following through with the plan? Yes, I am. Well, does that plan match God's description of how the the plan ought to look? No. Well, then there's where we're falling apart. There's where we're struggling. You can have a plan, create a plan, but God's plan is better, and God's plan is clear. God clearly says, I want you to make sure that your children are immersed in truth. That is my goal. That my children are immersed in truth. That is my plan, immersed in truth. And I do my best to ensure that plan. I also do my best to make sure that when there are mistruths, lies, or deception, I limit how much of that is in my child's life. And the limited amount that is in my child's life are lessons for them. And I use them as lessons. I do not let my children take those lies as truth. I let them see the lies and we discuss it. We talk about it. We turn it into a a conversation where my child can grow from it. But I don't let these lies present themselves as truths unchecked, unnoticed, undiscussed. Why? Because I have a plan. My plan is very clear to me. I know that my children are going to leave me someday. I know that. I accept that. I want that. I want it. Why would I want my children to leave me? Because I want my children to multiply what God has done in my life somewhere else. My children can have a bigger impact outside of my home than they could just with me, staying in my house the rest of their life. That is not natural. That is not how God designed it. Why? Because God wants us to grow and multiply, not just physically, but spiritually. God doesn't want us keeping the children with us forever. God designed it that a child leaves. We'll talk about that here shortly. And I recognize that and I accept that, and I train my children towards that day. We are teachers. Number two, we are disciplinarians. Turn to Proverbs chapter 22. Now, there's a reason why many parents don't want to be disciplinarians because they had a disciplinarian in their life and it was not healthy. The disciplinarian they had, a grandparent, a grandfather, a father, a pastor, a teacher, a coach, abused and misused their authority. And they were a disciplinarian, but not in a healthy way, very unhealthy, very unscriptural in the manner in which they disciplined you. And so that's all you know. That's all you understand. And when you think of disciplinarian, you think of uh, uh, totalitarianism. Uh, I'm just gonna leave it there. Thank thank you. Yes. Good job, Steve. Give the man a medal. You think of a dictator. How about that? <laughs> and we consider that we don't want to be a dictator in our children's lives, so we're gonna step away altogether and not discipline them. Well, there is a middle ground. You don't have to be a dictator or nothing. <laughs> there is an in-between. Proverbs chapter twenty-two, verse fifteen. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Did you know that children are not born innocent? They're born sinners. Did you know that children are not born wise? They're born fools. Did you know that children are not, are not born obedient? They're born rebellious, inwardly rebellious. The only reason that young children, many of them naturally follow their parents, is because they're naive, they're young, they're small, they're immature, They look at you, big parent. They look at you and they believe you know everything. When they get older, bigger, and a little wiser and start to recognize you don't know everything, their natural tendency comes out. Here's what a lot of parents get confused on. Their child hits that glorious age of 12 called middle school. And they say, what happened to my child? Where is the sweet child that you once were? I'll tell you what happened. You, know, you may not want to hear this. This is hard for a lot of parents to hear. But this is the truth. Your middle schooler did not change to, to a different person. Your middle schooler is presenting to you who they always were just when they're in their younger years, smaller body, didn't have the courage or ability or desire to play out who they always were. You see, a lot of parents judge themselves. I'm a good parent because they can keep a six-year-old in check. A lot of parents say, I'm a great parent because my 8-year-old child you know, is a pretty good kid. Uh, my 8-year-old child doesn't beat up other 8-year-olds, so I'm a, good child. I'm a good parent. My 9-year-old my daughter uh, goes to bed by 9 o'clock when I tell her to, so I'm a pretty good parent. You know, that is not the proper way to judge yourself as a parent. You really want to judge yourself as a parent? You can't really do so until your children are about middle school age. Then you'll see what kind of parent you really are around middle school. Obviously, the training needs to begin earlier. But if there's little to no training, even young children can generally be kept in check. Again, they're small. Uh, they don't know as much. And as long as you kind of, kind of make an effort to train them, a little bit of training, kind of uh, eliminate some of those bad influences, a child will, will mostly do pretty good unless you just blow it all together and they, you surround them with bad influences of other children and, and allow horrible things to happen in their lives, well, then even a child can, can be pretty, pretty much of a terror. But you will find whether you did or did not train and whether that training was or was not working when they hit middle school. That is when you'll know if you're doing well. A little scary for those whose children aren't in middle school yet. You wonder, well, am I doing a good job training? You can know if you are, not until you wait when they're 12 years old, but to match up your training to the instruction of God's Word. Are you doing what God's Word says? If you are, you should hope for and expect good things. If you're not, then you will find out the hard way that children are easier to raise than teenagers. That children are easier to control than teenagers. And that children are more likely to do what's right just because they're small and don't know better yet than teenagers. But once that child starts looking you in the eye because they're now the same height as you, once that child now starts processing information differently, then you will discover what kind of parent you really were. Disciplinarian. That does not mean spank your child every time they mess up. That does not mean discipline your child in physical ways, however that might look, within reason whenever they mess up. That does not mean ground your child every time they mess up. It means correct your child. That correction should include a balance of mercy and truth. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that a balance of mercy and truth brings you in a good place where both man and God are pleased with you. When you are all truth, heavy on the correction for everything, everything is a tin. Your child spills the water. That's a 10, and they're disciplined like they just hit their sibling. Your child gets a bad grade in a subject they just do not understand, and you treat them like they're lazy. You treat it like a 10. If everything is a 10, you are destroying your child. If everything is a 1, oh, no big deal. Oh, that's all right. They'll figure it out. Oh, they just need to grow up. You are destroying your child. You need to pray for wisdom, the wisdom to know what is a 10 and what is a 1 and what is everything in between and the wisdom to know how to address the tens differently than the ones. Correction for a six, a problem that rates a six, versus a problem that rates a two, should not look the same. You should not have the same face. You should not have the same voice. You should not have the same conversation. You definitely should not have the same consequence for a problem that is a two and a problem that is a six. The consequences need to fit the crime, the problem. But you are the disciplinarian. That is your job. You are the one that decides how to correct your child and how to redirect your child. Because Proverbs 22.15 reminds us that foolishness is bound in their heart, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Far from him. What is driven far from a child? Foolishness. Do you want your child to grow up a fool? I don't. My plan is that my child grows up glorifying God. Foolishness is not part of that equation. Therefore, I need foolishness to be separated from my child who is born with foolishness. You may not see it because in a child it doesn't look nearly as strong, in your face, blatant as a middle schooler. But if you do not drive foolishness from a child, you will recognize your mistake when they're 12 years old. And your child will live the life of a fool until it is driven from them. And let me tell you, it's a whole lot harder to drive foolishness from the heart of a teenager than it is from a child. If you start early and drive the foolishness from the child, it is easier to help and direct the teenager. But if you think you're a great parent because you can handle a six-year-old, and that six-year-old grows up with foolishness only for you to discover, discover you made a lot of mistakes and it's a little too late... Now you're in for a rough ride because that teenager who's foolish is as as big as you, if not bigger than you, has an attitude that's three times bigger than you, and has a lot of foolish friends encouraging them to continue down this destructive path. How did that happen? It happened because you didn't drive the foolishness from them. And I do not mean beat it out of them. I mean discipline it out of them. Discipline it out of them. You are a disciplinarian. The greatest offense my children can have in my home is disobedience. That is how uh, I, I determine tens for me, disobedience. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says that disobedience, rebellion, is as the sin of witchcraft. That is the only sin described as a sin of witchcraft. That's a pretty big deal to me. I would say that's a ten. Ten. Witchcraft, as in, you know, delving into demon, demonic activity and, and talking to demons and trying to usher Satan in your home. Yeah, that's a 10 for me, all right? So disobedience is a 10. I'm not saying there can't be other ones as 10s that are up there, but disobedience is definitely a 10. What is a 1? One? A 1? Well, I would say for me, depending on the age of my child, but a 1 for me would be um, not paying attention. I'm not going to disappoint them not paying attention like I would... Disobedience to say, wow, Pastor Russ, not paying attention is a one? Like I would think that's like a four or a five. No, a one as in they're just spacing out. Uh they're so focused on something when I speak they don't hear my voice. When it becomes they choose to not listen to me, now we're back to what? That's a ten, right? And you gotta have the wisdom to know when it's they're just spacing out or when they're literally ignoring you (laughs) and do not treat the one like the other. In between would be a variety of things. Um, trying to hide a mistake that they made. They messed up. They knew it. They're trying to hide it. I wouldn't put that as a 10 for me. I'd put it above a five, but I'm going to treat it less than it would be outright disobedience. Why would I do that? Because if I discipline my child so severely when they hide something, I'm just scaring them even more. If I show them that oh, you did wrong, you shouldn't have hidden it, but it could have been better for you if you didn't hide it, I'm hopefully trying to retrain them, redirect them, to not hide things from me in the future. But if everything is a 10, you are just training your children to hide everything from you. So parents, train your children. Grandparents, you, your job is not to train the children as a parent unless you're the guardian of them but you can partner with your children to train your grandchildren and be a partner that brings success, not destruction. Next, we are providers. Now, there's three other things that I want to mention under Know Your Calling and Know Your Plan, providers, protectors, and preparers. So obviously, providers, you're you're taking care of your child, you're making sure they have everything they need a protector. You are making sure that they are safe. You are making sure that they are, they are not uh, being destroyed or attacked by outside uh, forces or people. And then prepares. you are making sure that they are ready for that next step in their life. You are going to do all three of these things throughout your child's entire life at your house. You are going to provide for them, you are going to protect them, and you are going to prepare for them, uh, prepare them individually. All three. You will start off heavier on the the at, the at the beginning of their life you'll start off heavier on the provision very much provision I mean, moms, without, without you, that baby dies. There's no way that baby can go to the fridge and feed themselves. You could put something in front of that baby. It will starve to death before it gets that food in front of them into their mouth, right? So you are like 100% providing for that infant, that, uh, that two-month-old, uh, that five-month-old. Once they get to three years, the provision doesn't look the same as three months. You are still providing for them, but you are now starting to prepare them as well because you're training that child to put the food in their own mouth, right? So there's some basic preparation of you got to survive on your own. Mommy's not going to put the food in your mouth till you're like 25 or 45 or 65, right? Not going to happen. You are preparing the child to begin feeding themselves. You provide for your child when they're young. You put the clothes on them. That child will be naked all day if you don't put the clothes on them yourself. But at some point, as they get older, you prepare the child to start clothing themselves. Do you see what I'm saying? That is in basically every area of this child's life. You are 100% providing for that child in all areas of their life, when they are infants, but you have to start backing up. You cannot be 100% providing for them when they are 15. There needs, the, the percentage needs to lessen as you go. So you are 100% provision as they are born, and then when they exit the house... You should be, you know, maybe 10% or less provision. By the time they exit the house, I'm not saying parents can't help their adult children. I'm not saying parents shouldn't help their adult children. I'm saying you need to be a very low percentage of provision for your adult child. You cannot be 50, 70, 90% provision for your adult child or you are just enabling them. You are heavy on provision when they're born You are light on provision when they leave. It goes down. You are somewhere middle. You're not going to, I mean, well, obviously protection for an infant uh, would be heavy as well. But that's going to to decrease as well. So you're going to protect them, obviously, with an infant. Hopefully there's not too many things out to get your infant. But uh, as your child begins to grow, you're going to find that there's a lot of things going on in your child's life. You need to protect them from themselves, their friends. Sometimes to protect them from from you yourself. You need to walk out of the room and say, I'm leaving this room to protect my child from me because I am very upset with my child, right? Protect your child. Again, that's going to lessen as you go. So the provision and the protection will diminish, will decrease as your child gets older. Why? Because as your child is young, your preparation is pretty low. You're not focusing nearly as much on preparing your child at 3 months you're focusing on providing and protecting your child so the provision is low i mean the preparation is low and as your child gets older the preparation gets higher and higher and higher so the first two decrease as your child gets older but the last one increases as your child gets older and the older they get the more you focus on preparation and the less you focus on protection and provision Because you cannot prepare them if you are still protecting and providing for them 100%. You are not preparing them. You are cutting out their legs from under them and causing them to be dependent on you, not independent. So you have to, in your mind, know what you're doing. You have to have that plan. You have to recognize the pattern. The provision and the protection decrease as they get older. And the preparation increases and they switch places as they get older. From the moment I was holding my children in my arms, I knew this already. I was already aware of this this dynamic that I and my children would have. And so I, from the beginning, knew my goal eventually was to always prepare my children for life without me. And therefore, I raised them not to bring me joy. I do not raise my children to fulfill my heart. Fulfill my dreams. There's a lot of emotionally unstable adults out there who need, need, need. And you know what? They get it. They fulfill their emotional needs through their children. They are crippling their children. They are using their children to fill a void that they can't fill anywhere else or they won't fill anywhere else. So their children are handicapped because these parents can't say, basically in their head, I can't prepare my child to leave because when they leave, I'll die inside. So I can't fathom the fact that they ever will leave. I definitely can't prepare them to leave. It may happen someday, but if it does, they'll be pried for my cold, dead hands. Because I've got nothing in this life but my children. And so they're not planning in preparation. They're not increasing the preparation. If it ever was there, it plains out or decreases. They don't want their child to leave them. And so they increase the protection, and they increase the provision. Why? What is this parent doing if they're increasing the provision and protection as their children get older? What is a parent doing? Aside from handicapping their child and enabling their child, what's really their goal? They're bribing their child. You stay close to home, dad will always give you... A new car every three years. You stay close to home. Mom will always wash your clothes. I mean, sometimes kids, you know, you can be bought pretty cheap, right? Washing their clothes is enough for some of them. Others need a little more, you know. We'll have dinner for you on the table every time, every night you come by. You know, it sounds good, right? It sounds like, well, I'm I'm just a parent. We just love family. What's wrong with having our adult children for dinner every night? Nothing wrong with it as long as you're not trying to manipulate them through it, right? Having dinner with your child who lives in the area every day is a beautiful thing until it becomes manipulation. And now you're using the dinner to control your child, to keep your child from leaving you. That's a problem. You're providing for your child, but you're doing so because you don't want them leaving your life. The provision protection goes down Preparation goes up because you want to set your child up for success. So let's talk about providers. We are providers. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. So that's how important providing for our home is. Now this is specifically relating to providing for your elderly parents. So this is kind of interesting. Our provision for our children will decrease and essentially be replaced with what? Our provision for our parents increases. You are just trading one for the other. But here's how it works for a lot of families. They don't provide for their parents, but they do continue providing for their adult children like they are five years old. The natural order of things is God gives you children and young parents. And your young parents become, you know, a little older as your children get older. And eventually, as a parent yourself, you're just replacing the provision for your child with your parents in the hopes that someday your children will follow the same pattern. (laughs) And then when your parents pass, you'll find yourself having some years where you don't need to be provided for and can enjoy the freedom of life. But eventually, you also will need to be provided for. Did you train your children on how to do that? Or are they so wrapped up in giving all of their money to their children, there is no ability to provide for you in your old age? Are you training your children to only provide for their children? Or are you showing them how it looks to provide for family outside who really need it when your 22-year-old son can get a job? When your 24-year-old daughter can provide for herself? She does not need your 401K. She does not need you... You drain your savings so that she can have a shiny red convertible. She does not need that. But if you treat your daughter and your son like that in their 20s, they'll do the same for their children, and you'll have nothing because you gave it all to them, and they won't give it back to you (laughs) when you're old. This is the pattern of life right here. Provision for your children decreases. Provision for your parents increases as they both get older. But God makes it very clear. His desire is that you provide for your family. You are a provider. Are you providing? And what are you providing? Here, obviously, we're talking about food, clothing, money, the necessities, the physical necessities. But there is more that a child needs than the physical, right? The human body is just one of three parts of who we are. The other two is the spirit and the soul. You provide for the body of your child. But why do so many children struggle with mental health? Why are the numbers somewhere to upwards of 60-plus percent of children now need therapy for anxiety and depression? School-age children, more than half of school aged children, according to polls recently done, require therapy for extreme depression and extreme dysfunctional anxiety. Why is that? Because parents aren't providing for their children. Oh, these children who have anxiety sometimes have the nicest clothes. These children with depression, you look at they got the, the newest foam. You walk in their bedroom, they got more stuff than you do. These parents are thinking that they can fix their child's problems by giving them more stuff. And these parents are actually going without giving their children more than they've got because it breaks their heart to see their child hurting. And they are confused. These parents don't have a plan. They don't recognize God's plan. And these parents think that pleasures of this life... Fix the problems of the heart. No, they don't. The pleasures of this life cause the problems of the heart. So the more pleasures of this life you give your child, the more damage you are giving them when they're already hurting. If you are telling your child you're sad, here, a brand new pair of shoes, you are telling your child this world can fix your sadness. If you're telling your child with anxiety, oh, don't worry, Uh, let's get you some nice new clothes. You're telling this child, oh, don't worry, the world can fix their anxiety. Whereas God says the opposite. Provide for your children's need, but recognize your children's needs are three. Spiritual, emotional, that's the soul, and physical. Most parents can barely even do the physical right. Barely. Not that they don't give their children physical needs. They overdo it and essentially do wrong for their children. Very few, very, very few, in my opinion, and I'm dealing with Christian parents, are able to provide emotionally for their children. Very few take care of the second one. They don't know how. They don't even know they need to. Most think by providing for the physical, I am providing for the emotional. No, you're not. And unfortunately, as time goes on, almost none are providing spiritually for their children what used to be a high priority for christian parents, the spiritual condition of their children, i just don't see that anymore today. i don't see dads truly making their spirit their child's spiritual choices a top priority. i don't see it. how can you dads when it's not a top priority for you? how can you help your children achieve spiritual success when you don't have it yourself? and that is the problem. in today's, today's christian culture, we have a bunch of weak fathers. And weak mothers. We have a bunch of Christians who are just floating through life, getting entertained on Sunday, and believing that to be sufficient. They don't have spiritual strength, they cannot withstand the spiritual attacks of this world. How could they provide spiritually for their kids? They can't and they don't. And I think deep down, a lot of them know that. So they do one of two things they bribe their kids going back to the physical again, and they do so hoping that if I just give my children everything physically they need, they will not go down the path of destruction. They'll stay close to me, and if I go to church, they'll go to church with me, and in some way, they'll accept my life, my choices as good because I bribed them with all the things that they want. That's not helping the spiritual condition. And then others, they know that they can't help their children spiritually or they, don't, they know they don't know how. So they just try to control their children spiritually. And that's when they become the extreme dictator in the home and basically say, you don't have the authority in this home to make choices spiritually for yourself. I'll tell you what you like and don't like. No, no, you don't have the wisdom to grow spiritually. I will control that part for you. And so that child isn't raised to think critically about God or his word. They're raised told exactly what to think, not how to think. When a parent tells their child what to think and not how to think, I can tell you right now, that parent doesn't really understand themselves the spiritual condition. A teacher who doesn't know the material well can only give you facts. That's it. Anyone can give facts. Anyone can repeat facts. Any, you don't have to be a history teacher to get up and give a bunch of dates and names. Anyone can do that. A teacher who knows the material teaches the children how to think about that information, not what to think. And there's too many parents teaching their children what to think. You know why? Because they themselves don't have a deep knowledge of that topic, that subject. So they can't teach their children how to think about the Bible because they themselves don't know how to do that. They can only tell their children what to think about the Bible. And inevitably, they're only telling their children what to think based off of what they were told. They're just passing on information. They don't even know if it's right or wrong because they haven't learned how to think about it themselves. So they've heard it. They accept it. They give it. And they expect their children to do the same, Parrot as they go on. And they think they're being successful. These parents think they are providing for their child's spiritual condition. No, you're not. You want to provide for your child... Go deep yourself. Understand the word of God. Understand truth on a deep level where you don't just know what to think, you know how to think, and you actually do that. Then show your child how to do that. And the earlier you do, the more likely your child will grow up glorifying God, which should be your goal. But if you don't, and it's always what to think, your child will either grow up and become a robot like you, and parrot and repeat everything they were told like you, or they will run. Because unlike you, they're not willing to live the life of a robot. And they will run, and they will learn how to think from someone else. But the chances are very high <laughs> if they learn how to think from someone else. That philosophy of how to think taught them by someone else will include lies, deception, manipulation, rebellion against God. And so the way in which they process thinking from someone else will inevitably cause them to run even further from God. The safest place for your child to learn how to think is in your home from you. Don't Don't trust me to teach that to your child. I'll try to if they come to our school, but that's not ultimately my job. That's your job. Don't trust their teachers to do that. They will try to do that, but that's your job. Do it. Do your job. Provide for your child. Teach them how to think. Provide for them spiritually. Teach them how to think about God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our parents in this room, for those who were not here today, that you would help all of us to recognize the need Of providing for our children in all areas, the most basic of which is physical, but as was discussed this morning, spiritual. The need for our children to recognize that they can be fulfilled spiritually at home with their family in the conversations, the love, and the direction they receive. In Jesus' name, amen.